Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Whenever I mention that I'm in the wine industry, a follow-up question is usually, do you want to make your own wine? The answer for me is a resounding no. I totally respect what they do, but that is just not my gift. But there are quite a few people that dream of being a winemaker. And then to live in France on top of that, that's kind of like the ultimate dream, right? In this episode, we'll hear from an American woman who is doing just that. She exchanged her life and comfort in the States to live amongst the vineyards of France, eventually making her very own cuvee. Some parts of the life are a dream, but as with anything, there are challenges as well. I'm so excited to introduce you to Carrie Ann Sumner. Let's jump right in. It was not planned for sure. Like probably nobody's life is, but I'm originally from Oregon, just outside of Portland in a city called Lake Oswego, which I left almost as soon as I could, you know, I really, I don't know what I wanted, but I went immediately to the East coast and was going to Johnson and Wales and in Providence, Rhode Island, and then transferred down to New York city. And I was, I wanted to be a chef and I was going to culinary school and I was cooking I was cooking in some restaurants in New York. And, um, and then I decided I wanted to learn about wine. And at that point, I made the decision to go to the front of the house and, and start learning about wine and taking wine classes and whatever. And I worked around all different parts of the restaurant business. And um, during that time, I, I have worked as a sommelier before. I don't like to call myself that, but I have worked as a sommelier a couple of times. And um, I was selling the wine of Abe Schoner, Scolium Project. And I loved it. I loved this wine. I was introduced to this wine by Michael Greenlee at Gotham Bar and Grill. And, and then we met. And at one point, I wanted to do a harvest. And again, through Michael Greenlee, I was sent to Napa. So in 2007, I did my first harvest in Napa with Abe Schoner. And we got along really well. We worked day and night. It was Back then, he was smaller. It was just the two of us. We were together 24-7 and uh, we worked amazingly together. And at one point he just said, well, do you want to go work on my project in France? Okay. (laughs) I was at a very strange point in my life. I was making a lot of changes and I had a new job to go back to in New York, but that was fine because we were talking about the following harvest. And so I accepted this job. And they said that I could uh, do the following harvest. So it was great. And then I left uh, around August to go do harvest in 2008 here. 
and I worked for him three years here. And Marcel was the neighbor. And then I just stayed. <laughs> now, you say here. You're not in Paris. Where are you? We are pretty far from Paris. If you have a direct train, six hours from Paris. We're actually much closer to Spain. We consider ourselves in the Roussillon and even more specifically in the, the Valley de Agli. So the closest city is Perpignan. And we're kind of in the foothills of the Pyrenees on the French side, and which means we're about two hours. And also the weather is much closer to the Spanish side of things. Like it's okay. much hotter down here. We're about 30 kilometers from the Mediterranean Sea as well. So you came there to work the harvest and then work on the special project. And what are you doing now? Well, my husband, Marcel, he is Swiss. And in fact, he came here. Of course, we met here. So he had started his own project here. Well, he bought a domain, which is about 26 hectares of vines. And he bought the domain in 2006. His first vintage was 2007. And then, of course, my first harvest was 2008 here. And so that's when we met. And in 2010, we started dating and very kind of quickly got married. So I started working on his project. I started working with Domaine des Enfants. And then slowly but surely, I started creating my own project, which is called Chromosoma and Vivian Catherine, which is Marcel and I this year are starting to define exactly what it is because it's developed into something completely different than what you planned in the beginning. In the beginning, it was, I started a small thing. I wanted to learn about soil. I want to, you know, and it's growing. Now it's growing. And now we have a negociant certification. So my project is now under that. It's now negociant status. And I guess it's becoming something different. And now I'm working on both projects. I make the wines of both. Chromosoma is by itself, but it also works together with Domaine des Enfants and it works really well because there's a huge difference in our style of winemaking. And I pick much earlier than he does. Often I can go through and do kind of a green harvest of his wines. Obviously the fruit is not green, it's red, but, and it benefits both of us. So his fruit then more thoroughly ripens and I have my fruit at the alcohol level that I would like. And so we work together. We have 23 different pots, some that are Our largest is about five hectares, but our smallest is less than half a hectare. And they're spread all throughout the Valley de Agli. So within 45 minutes of each other, they're not close together at all. So sometimes he'll be like, okay, well, why don't you take that vineyard this year and do something with that, which makes it interesting because the cool thing about these vineyards is that they're at all different elevations and on all different types of soils and many different varieties. So I can experiment with different things. And so that is kind of the project I'm working on. Most specifically, I have my own, but I'm still working completely 100% with Domaine des Enfants. Was there any problem with you starting to make wine in um, Southern France? I know uh, French wine culture is very um, closed off. Well, I mean, I think it was easier in the beginning, especially because I wasn't a winemaker. I was a stagiaire. I was a seller worker. I was learning. I wasn't a threat. Like the people that were producing Abe's wine that were 
taking care of the vines and whatever. They're they're English. And so in the beginning, it wasn't so hard, you know, and I was only here for three months at a time. People were always quite nice to me. And uh, when I moved here, it became a bit more complicated, I would say, especially, you know, not only are you changing countries and continents and learning a new language, but I mean, I was a city girl and the village we live in is a thousand people. So St. Paul de Fenouillet, that's my village. That's a thousand people. And then Mori is the next village. And that's where our cob is. And that's, I think, maybe eight or 900 people. But um, on the other hand, this region, since over probably between 20, 30 years, it's been developing a huge population of all kinds of foreigners. A lot of people are coming from all over the world. There are South Africans here, Germans, Mexicans, Swiss, English, Americans. People are coming in from all over and buying property here, not only because it's affordable, but I think this region has gone through a huge change. If you look back to the 70s, it was a big region for Vindu or Vindu Natural and, and sweet wines, which I mean, they still hold a part of the market today, but it's not nearly as popular as maybe it once was. And so producers started coming in and were amazed by these old vines and these soils that were sold at at incredibly affordable prices. And people started buying up the vines and making dry wines, which was kind of a new thing. And, And not just dry wines, but not bag and box wines, really high quality wines. The first few years, I really did push back a lot. And then once I finally kind of accepted and tried to integrate a bit more, something I'm definitely not good at, and uh, opened my heart a little bit more, it became much easier. And especially, and once my child started going to school here, I really appreciate the community that we're in. And I really love the school. And I, I've grown to really appreciate and love being here. Having lived in New York, New York City, and and then now being in the South, which is more considered more country, why not a uh, Paris or a Lyon, a bigger city with more people that had more of that same feel? Those would be places to make wine. I mean, I think I could live at Paris. I love Paris. I mean, for me, I feel like Paris is not that different than New York. I don't want to say it's New York en français, but it's any of these big cities, you know, I, once you're in an urban environment, I feel safe and secure there. Yeah. I mean, because nobody cares about you. It's good. And then it's also bad. That's you right. Both the anonymity is something I've always cherished. And I mean, like I said, coming here was never a plan. And I just kind of ended up here. And really, when Marcel and I started seeing each other, that was when I really started thinking, I might really be here now because I never planned on staying here. I planned on working here and then moving on and doing other things. So it wasn't really a choice. And often, you know, when I would have these bits where I was like, I'm moving to Barcelona or I'm moving to Spain, I would often also think, hmm, well, I could live in Paris. I have actually the visa to live in Paris. So, but um, then you start thinking, well, what would I do in Paris? I guess I would go back into restaurant business. But then thinking about your place in the South, because, you know, you probably actually have a home with a yard and grass. And then you come to Paris and you would absolutely have an apartment. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's something that makes people think. I think if I ever did get outside and like stayed somewhere else for a little bit, I'd be like, I'm going back for what? Why am I living that way? <laughs> Want to get back to your um, line. Since you're in Roussillon in the South, warmer weather, much different than in Paris. So what grapes do you grow there? You will find a lot of different varieties here. Now, if you want to talk about the classical varieties from the region, it's very similar to parts of Spain. We have Grenache, all different types of Grenache, Grenache Noir, Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris. Then we have Carignan, Carignan Blanc, Carignan Gris. We have Syrah, which is not a super traditional variety of the region, but you'll have Syrah. And then you'll have Movedra, you have Senso, which Senso is not super traditional from this specific region, but you're starting to see more and more of it. I know that there are people growing Cabernet Sauvignon, but um, at very high sugar levels, of course. You might start seeing some changes in what people are growing here over the years as it gets hotter and as we go forward with global warming. But for now, I think I covered mostly what people are growing here. It's not a secret that France loves cheese and wine, so not surprising that an entire culture revolves around the consumption of these two great gifts to the culinary world. Come and discover one of the best parts of French culture with the cheese and wine class or a wine tasting class. Join my classes. They're a great opportunity to experience the French terroir. During these two hour classes, you'll sample some of the finest cheeses and finest wines, learn the techniques and language of cheese tasting and wine tasting, and also the concept of terroir. You'll spend a great evening in a relaxed atmosphere with beautiful surroundings in the heart of Montmartre with me at Cooking with Class Cooking School and get a great head start to fully understand and appreciate our love for French cheese and wine and help you approach them with greater confidence. Visit cookingwithclass.com, C-O-O-K-N, W-I-T-H-C-L-A-S-S and search Paris Classes for more information or to book your date. Want to talk about labeling. With the labels... French wines are labeled by the region. So we'll see like AOC, um, AOC Roussillon, or maybe the specific region within there. Do you find yourself having to explain about the blend of grapes in various bottles? What percentage? Do you think that confuses people in general about French wine? For this region, I think it definitely does. Because if I think back, and I don't know what it's like now. I mean, what, 20 years ago when I took the WSET, and they covered the recent, it's like, I remember you would have like two weeks on Bordeaux and two weeks on Burgundy, and then maybe one week on Loire, what, you know, whatever. And then you would spend two days on languedoc Roussillon together. And I never really had a grasp on it until I was here. So I think it does confuse people, especially because there are so many different microclimates and so many different varieties and the region is so massive 
I think it's really hard to put it into one box. And the varieties themselves are just not as popular. Carignan, it's becoming more popular, but people are not as familiar with it. For a while, our importer in New York asked us to put the varieties on the label. They said that that helped a lot because otherwise you don't really know it's in the bottle. could be anything. And that's fine. We like an anything kind of one. Yeah. So we used Egipe Cote Catalan. So you have that, you have AOC Mori, and then you have AOC Cote Roussillon. And I think there are so many different blends that are acceptable within those different designations. It's hard to say exactly what it is. Yeah, you kind of have to explain what the what the blend is. Or just drink a lot and then or, you'll know yeah. kind of what style you like. Speaking of drinking a lot, people often say that American drinking culture is um, not really a culture. We just drink a lot. What is there something that you wish you knew about French drinking culture or French wine before you came here? One thing that was a big surprise to me is lunch. And I like, (laughs) okay, lunch, lunch is a thing. And it's not just like a sandwich. It's not like you're stopping and sitting down together for a sandwich. It's like, there's wine, there's wine at lunch. And I like, I, 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 Yes, I like that part. But I mean, as I, I was in the restaurant business before and kind of immersed in a wine culture, I guess I was prepared for a lot of the ways. Just do you mean like aperitif and uh, taking wine at lunch and having a digestive at the end of dinner and all of that? Um, how they actually stop and pause for lunch. Unlike most Americans who are like, no, no, let me just get a sandwich at my desk. Yeah. Or yeah, when we go to the States and you're with an importer, I was in California in San Francisco and we were doing a tour and I was like, where are we going for lunch? And she handed me a bag of almonds and I almost fell over. I was like, we're not going to lunch. I was like, I want to get a taco. At the very least, at the very least, you deserve a taco. she took me to get a taco. She took me to get tacos. But yeah, that was that that was something I adapted to very quickly and am not willing to give up. When it comes to your wine, if you were going to leave us with like a little sound bite for chromosoma, what would that be? Well, chromosoma, it's very personal for me. It's been an amazing experience. It's been an educational experience like I could never ask for. What makes chromosoma special is that it's literally single varieties coming from single soil profiles and it's growing. So every year I will get like six different plots and I'll usually have two different Grenache, two different Syrahs and two different Carignans and we're planting Senso. I will do chromosoma with Senso and, um, And so I'll do, for instance, a Grenache from schist soil, and I'll do a Grenache from granite. And they'll be at different elevations and different microclimates. And some people could say that it's arbitrary to compare them. But for me, it really is not. I can see consistencies in in the fruit um, from granite that's at 200 meters compared to granite that's at 600 meters. And same with schist. Like you can see similarities even though of course it's going to be different because it's coming from a different plot in a different place, but 
I'm trying to discover what the soil brings. And I think at least for me, and I know it's not the first time somebody's done a project like this. For me, that's what makes it special is tasting these different varieties from different soil profiles. And I feel very privileged because this region has so many soil profiles and different elevations. Lastly, well, not lastly, did you speak French when you got there? And how did no. that work out? How was that for you? Because so many people are like, oh, I can just pick it up. Or, oh, you live in France. You can speak French. Uh, what? Yeah, that was so me. I was like, oh, well, because, and this is one thing that you hear Americans say a lot. And, oh, it'll just take a few months and you'll speak fluently. And it's like, uh, yeah. I can order a croissant. That's it. I can get a baguette at the boulangerie. And that's what you can do in a few months. But fluent. Yeah, I can order in a restaurant. That was definitely when I was talking about my resistance. I think a lot of it had to do with learning the language because in the beginning, I was very gung-ho and I did some immersion programs. I did one in Paris for a month and I did one in Montreux. And I was so gung-ho and so positive about it. And that gets torn down pretty quickly. And it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're doing well and then sometimes you feel at your worst. And so there were definitely times where I was like, I don't, I don't care. And I'm not doing this anymore. And I don't, I don't need to speak French because my husband and I speak English and he's German. And, you know, I've gone through phases like that, but it, it really wasn't until I, I really decided at one point, as long as I live here, I need to take classes, especially since my, my family life is in English. My, my son goes to school in French and surely enough, his French is getting better than it's English, you know? And so we're becoming a more bilingual household. And I just decided as long as I live here, I will take classes. I have an online tutor and it's mostly just conversational Mm -hmm. where he corrects me and just to keep me fluid. Because for instance, we went into harvest and I had an English stagiaire this year, an English and a German stagiaire this year. So we were speaking in English. The whole harvest was in English. And then I came out of harvest and my French was just, you know, it yeah. wasn't as fluid. I was 30 years old before I started learning French. And, and so I will never have the fluidity, you know, that my son has mm-hmm. or that, you know, I will never be bilingual. Yeah. And that's just the facts. You know, you have to get in there young and I'm fine with that. But I know now that I need to continuously learn and read, like reading and listening to podcasts. Like these are all things that help me. And my relationships with local people have grown so much more since I I really started making that dedicated effort. And now it's really important to me. And I continue, I always continue and I will continue. And you feel comfortable having conversations and going into places, getting things done, complaining about your cable. Um, trying to change cell phone plans. Like when you have to, confrontations are probably the hardest thing, but yeah. And managing people, um, that's also a challenge because like, you know, you're making mistakes and you're supposed to be in charge, but you're making mistakes. And maybe you, you hear a snicker here and there and you just have to let it go off your back and you have to laugh at them and, and just appreciate that sometimes it's harder. 
So I think management has been the hardest thing, but otherwise, most of my day-to-day business is in French and teachers and um, working. And then the expos, of course, are all in French. And, um, you know, it's still hard, but every day it gets better. And I'm never going to go out there and be like, I speak perfect French. No, but I'm trying. I'm always trying and I'm always doing better. And I feel like people appreciate an effort. I think Americans get a bad rap because they come over. Hello, do you speak English? But if I try to speak French and, you know, start off, you know, with bonjour and then go into my French conversation and then I'm like, I can do this in English if you want. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm tired. Please just English. But then other times I'm like, no, let's 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 go forth with the French. Let's see. I'm going to, you know, slice these verbs up and I'm going to miss all the adjectives. But, you know, we, we can do this. Well, I guess that's a big part of it too, right? Is being fearless and, and being prepared to be vulnerable and make mistakes. And, you know, one time when I was in our, when I was in Argentina, I was trying to learn Spanish and I was talking to this guy who spoke, of course, perfect English. We were having a really nice conversation and he said, well, the thing about Americans is you don't like to be weak. And when you have Mm. to learn another language, you have to be weak. And in that moment, I had, a, for me, I had a big clarity and I was like, oh, for me, that's definitely true. Yep. Like, cause you make mistakes. You, people laugh at you. People laugh in your face. Sometimes they're very kind, but sometimes if you meet a monotone French person, it's usually people that don't speak another language that are the hardest. Right. Yes. But it's funny that you were doing this Emily in Paris thing. And of course I watched it. And if there's one thing that I thought that was actually quite true about the show was the way Americans arrived in France, right? So when Emily arrived, I think she was talking to everybody, talking to everybody in English, being really loud and positive and motivated Mm -hmm. and all these things. And I think people were really maybe taken back, but then you get her boss that comes in the same way. And by this time she's been there for a while and she's overwhelmed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Or like, and I think making the effort took down a huge barrier for me and an effort that's more subtle, I think. Carrie, where can we find you? If we want to find you online, on social media, where can we find you? I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. We have a domain page. Chromosoma has a page. I'm mostly on Instagram at Carrie Ann Sumner and with an E. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. What a wild ride, right? Carrie Ann has had quite the experiences. It's also interesting to hear a take on French life that isn't Parisian life, because believe me, they are in fact different. Still dream of being a winemaker though? That's cool. I hope Carrie Ann inspired you and gave you a few things to think about. If you have any questions or want to hear more, let us know. Send us a DM or an email. We love hearing from you.
Thank you for listening to Wine School Dropout. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochinta and hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Sound design and production by Luis Lopez and Kiara Santella. Production coordination by Catalina Oyos. Our theme was done by Gabrielle DeMasso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram. If you'd like the show, tell a friend about it and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sit back, relax, and have a glass. What's the one thing you've never told anyone? People just like you tell all in a podcast called The Secret Room. If you're a true story fan and you can't get enough of people's most intimate dreams, desires, and shame, you will love The Secret Room. Like Mila's deathbed confession that her daughter's absent father is a movie star, or Jen's secret love affair with a man on death row, or the way Joey falls in erotic love with inanimate objects. People all around you carry the most amazing secrets, and you're invited to the secret room for a front row seat to spectacular stories that will touch you, jar you, and amaze you. Search for The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. <laughs>